0: All right, so today's gonna look a little bit different. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Today's gonna look a little bit different than we normally do up here. We're gonna have a little bit of a discussion, and we're also gonna be talking about some stuff that's a little bit deeper, Um, so. I I think I need to preface this. We're hilarious on a regular basis, okay?
1: We promise we are fun at parties. We're so
0: good at parties. Like, invite us to your parties. We laugh. Um, But today, we're going to be a little bit more serious with some of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, But the purpose today is to really unpack mental health and mental illnesses. So, if you in this room struggle with a mental health issue, a mental illness, or if you know somebody, and that means depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, anything like that, would you raise your hand real high? If you do or you know somebody, raise your hand up real high. Yeah, everybody look around. That is almost everybody in this room. And so that's why we're having this conversation today. That's why this conversation is so important in the church. And um, the title of our talk is Demon or Disorder. And so we believe demons are real, it's in the Bible, but we're not going to park there today. So don't get too worried. But we can talk about that another day. But today we're talking demon or disorder, we're talking spiritual or clinical? Is this something that you're dealing with that is spiritual or clinical? So that's really what we wanna unpack for you. And we wanna remove the stigma that's kind of been placed on the church when it comes to mental health. And so um, we're also, our goals for today is to really let you know that there's hope. We wanna let you know that there's help. And we also wanna let you know that there is a path to healing. And so that's what we hope for you. And then I also wanna give this disclaimer. Some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about may be triggering for you. And if that does happen, feel free to stand up and go out to the lobby if you need to. Do not feel worried about what anybody's gonna think about you, if you feel triggered and you feel like you need to step out, please do so. We're gonna have a couple people from the prayer team out there for you, if you wanna be prayed for, you can be prayed for, if you don't wanna be prayed for, if you wanna go to the bathroom, whatever it is that you need to do, feel free to do it, okay? All right, so first we're gonna discuss uh, our credentials so that they know that we're qualified to talk like this. Okay, so I've been a pastor here at Journey Church for two years, five years total. I was a pastor up in North Carolina for three years. In North Carolina, I studied with the American Association of Christian Counseling. When I got down here, I got my certification as a temperament analyst, as well as I'm continuing my education with the National Chris- Christian Counselors Association. Um, and how
2: about for you, Yolanda? Okay, I'm a licensed clinical uh, Christian counselor. I'm also part of the board of Christian counsel- clinical therapists. Um, I'm also a supervisor for NCCA, and I've been in the field for about 20 years, Jenny. 20 years. That's awesome. Okay.
1: So uh, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor through uh, the National Christian Counseling Association as well, so NCCA. Um, But also on top of that, back in 2016, I graduated with my master's degree in clinical psychology. And then this coming June, I will be graduating with my doctorate degree in clinical psychology. So kind of on my way to become a psychologist.
0: Yes. (laughs) A lot of school is what that sounds like. A lot of school. A lot of school. All right. So can you break down for me just what those different credentials mean?
1: Sure. So first and foremost, you'll probably hear us use a lot of the... like. Counselor or therapist often uh, know that those are interchangeable words. They kind of mean the same thing. Um, The difference really kind of comes into play when we're talking about psychologist, because psychologist is a. doctor that focuses on psychotherapy as their main mode of treatment and kind of talk therapy usually. And then you have counselors who they also train in psychotherapy, but the training is a little dip, little bit different. They usually hold either a master's degree in uh, mental health counseling or in marriage and family therapy. And then the other one that we'll also touch on is psychiatrists who are medical doctors who they focus mainly on um, medication management as their mode of intervention for treatment. So think about it, thinking about it in kind of these terms, All psychologists are counselors slash therapists, but not all counselors slash therapists are psychologists and psychiatrists are medical doctors.
0: Okay, cool. So what we're gonna do is we're also gonna weave a Bible story throughout all of this and we're gonna be talking about Elijah. So I'm gonna preface a little bit for you before we get into the word, but basically the story of Elijah, he is a prophet And he is taking before, there's a 100 other prophets that are trying to prove that their God is real, and their God is the God of Baal. And so Elijah is really trying to prove that our God is real and not this other God, Baal. And so what they do is he tells them, okay, so if your God is real, build an altar and sacrifice a bull on it. And if your God's real, the fire of your God will come down and consume that offering. And so then they try to do it, and these 100 other prophets do dances and all kinds of rituals and stuff all day long, trying to prove that their God is real, to no avail. Nothing happens. And so then Elijah says, okay, well here, I'm gonna do the same thing, but I'm gonna do it for my God to prove that my God's real. And what happens? The fire from God comes down. So Elijah is used to enact this amazing miracle. Literal fire from God came down from heaven, to prove that our God is real. So that's what Elijah was used for. And then quickly after this, there's this woman named Jezebel, okay? So there's a reason why nobody names their kid Jezebel. That should allude you to her character, right? This is not a good woman. Don't name your kid Jezebel, okay? And so this woman then says to Elijah, says that she's going to kill Elijah. And so Elijah is scared. And so that's where it takes us to the word in 1 Kings 19.4. And then it says, then he went up, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So Elijah hits a point here where he doesn't feel like he wants to go on, which is kind of crazy because he was just used to enact a, a miracle of God but he's had enough, he doesn't wanna go on. He's too afraid, he, he's scared of Jezebel, he doesn't wanna do it. And this is one of those times where we see a glimpse of mental health in the Bible. And I actually think there's tons of glimpses of mental health in the Bible that we tend to overlook. We don't ever really park on these things, and I think it's important for us to park on these things because this is the kind of stuff that we go through. Okay. And so this is a really big peak moment for God, or a really peak moment for Elijah, but I really believe more has to be going on. Because he has this big, amazing moment, and then right afterwards, he's like, okay, never mind, I don't want to do it anymore. And so, saying that, explain to me what mental health really means.
2: Okay, in making it short is how we think, how we feel, how we deal with stress, Um, basically is how we deal with life in general, in an emotional part
1: i think the best way to kind of understand it and i'll kind of go ahead and pass this off to you real quick Mm -hmm. um is that kind of we're like this balloon where we're supposed to be stretched and we're supposed to kind of tolerate life but we kind of and we kind of come pre-packaged with our personality kind of we have our little aspects you can see with babies they have a temperament and they have a personality some babies are kind of more peaceful more calm other babies are more energetic and so then we have our families who they kind of begin to develop this personality even further where they're if parents are involved or not involved, how much they hold the baby. They start importing um, the way we think and view the world. So if you kind of grew up hearing the message of um, the way the you kind of, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, that saying usually kind of stems from their personality traits that we learn and we pick up from our parents. And oftentimes they may not be the healthiest, they may not be the best. So then kind of looking at us as this balloon, we have our families that kind of begin to put life into us. And then we have um, society, and so we have probably hurts that we get from people because not it could be drastic things like trauma, or it could be just interpersonal de- difficulties, just kind of a friend says something mean, like bullying, or it was, and it's not as deep as maybe a sexual assault or physical assault, but it's still deep. Then you have um, financial aspects. So then you have if you grew up in a more of a lower socioeconomic status or in a higher socioeconomic status and the things that were expected of you to keep that kind of family going. So you have that. Then you have brain chemistry and the biology of that and if there's a pre-genetic disposition, so if someone in your family struggled with alcoholism or depression or anxiety, then there's a likelihood that you could also struggle with it just because of brain chemistry. So you kind of have that going into the mix. And so mental health really is just a way to kind of learn how to release some of the steam. So you kind of coping skills, sitting with your emotions, talking to people, community. However we oftentimes don't do that. We don't have the, the, the social support in place to be able to have these difficult conversations. So what happens is we have all this steam built up and then something that we would probably think is minor. Have you guys ever had that moment where you wake up in the morning and you're kind of like, I don't know why, but I feel like it's an off day. I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I don't know what's going on. And then something happens at work where your boss gives you some kind of feedback that you didn't really like or made you feel some type of way. And then you just either can't stop crying or you're really, really angry. That's where the mental health issues kind of come into play because it now starts impacting various areas of your life. And that little feedback just (laughs) pops. And we have this issue where now we're kind of we're falling to pieces because we haven't actually sat with our issues
0: wow um i love the balloon example too because if we're the balloon we're meant to be stretched yeah we were made this way we are able to be stretched and just because you're facing stuff in life being stretched doesn't mean that god's not with you Just because you feel that pressure and that stretching doesn't mean that you're not deeply connected to God. And so if we go back to um, 1 Kings 19, 5 through 6 this time, where an angel came. So then Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or go, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. I think my favorite part about here is he had a nap and a snack.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Sometimes he just needs a nap and a snack. Yep. But to get a little bit more serious about it, He's talking about you need to take care of yourself. Are you sleeping enough? Are you eating well? Are you taking care of yourself in those ways? And so I think all of those things are really important. And we have... Like I said, there's lots of examples of mental health in the Bible, and there's a lot of these things um, that people have struggled with. That's why we call the talk demon or disorder, not just because it's clickbait, (laughs) because it is, but it's really important for you to understand that it's not always a demon. Mm -hmm. Uh There could be a disorder. We want to lift off that stigma that the church has kind of placed that it must just be a demon. Mm -hmm. Like, you may have even heard it yourself where somebody's said to you, if you're struggling with something, they say, you just need to pray more. Yeah? You need to fast, fast about it, fast about it. Now, while all that stuff is good, that might not be exactly what you need in that moment. Or maybe they even say, is there some sin in your life that you're struggling with that you need to get rid of? I mean, the thing that's been placed on the church when it comes to mental health is so thick that if you Google it, don't do it right now, if you Google it, you're going to get a host of article after article just talking about the problem of mental health in the church. So can you guys tell me what has happened when it comes to mental health and the church?
1: Yeah, this is a fun topic for me because this is also my dissertation topic of talking about mental health and the church and how to bridge services. Um, just because more often than not, people that are within the church, their first resource that they're going to go to is their local church. They're not going to come see me in my office. They're not going to come to therapy because there's been such a detachment of what it is. Oh, if I'm struggling with something, it's something spiritual, and that's the only reason. And yeah, there is very great resources with spiritual practices, but sometimes it takes kind of sitting in a room and talking about some deep things. And so science kind of took the first blow against the church, if we're going to look at it in like a, in, in a battle kind of sense, because science as it developed and continued to grow in history, Uh, it started to compare religion as regressive thinking or childlike happenstance, where you're just being, um, you're not realizing the real problems that are happening in society and you're just, you're acting like a little child with your fantasy and your make-believe and you don't actually want to accept the reality of life. And so, science kind of attacked the church that way. And rightly so, the church kind of took a defense. I think anyone at that point would feel a little defensive. And the church kind of came up. Now, this is probably in the 60s, 70s around there. There was this book, and I want to make sure that I get the name right because it is very heavy and it, it already kind of comes laid with judgment. So, I want, to, I want you to hear it. It's called Psychoheresy The Psychological Seduction of Christianity. And already the title's like, ugh, what's happening here? And so uh, it goes on to talk about how the church has seen a grievous transition from faith in his, and God and his word to faith in the psychological systems of men. And the, the text starts to talk about how all the psychology does is just kind of pull people away from God and just feed the flesh and feed the desires of man and just kind of make you your own individual person that doesn't really care about community and you just you're just envious and all about yourself. And then you have the church saying, well, the real cure to this, the real cure to your depression is that you need to come to the church, focus on the spirit life, focus on what is holy and what is correct and that'll cure your depression, that'll cure your anxiety, that'll cure your bipolar disorder and your eating disorder.
0: All right, so um, Jay, can you say that again in another way for people who didn't go to school for 11 years for this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So now we have these two kind of organizations, two, two camps, one saying Let's talk about it, and let's sit with it. And then the other saying, just pray it away. You just need stronger relationship with Jesus. And it's not to say that prayer and fasting and a relationship with God are not important. However, science has made some really great developments in being able to bridge the two. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but I ask the Bible a lot of questions because there are certain parts of it that just truly don't make sense to me, or the Bible doesn't give a clear step-by-step process. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a pastor's kid, so I was raised hearing the Bible and talking about the Bible. And probably around the age of 11, I started clicking with the story of Paul and where he starts talking about presenting your life as a living sacrifice and renewing your mind. And I'm kind of looking for the next step, like, all right, cool, Paul, how do I do that? How do I jump into this? And then it goes on to another verse, and it's like, cool, no explanation. (laughs) Thank you, that really helps. Have you guys ever felt like that? No one has ever felt like, "I'm, I'm confused by what Paul is talking about? Okay, well... I do feel confused. And so that used to frustrate me, but then when I started understanding psychology and how it can connect, psychology talks about how to change the way your brain is wired, how to change your thought processes, how to understand what's clicking and what's kind of triggering you to then be able to sit with that stuff and deal with it. So I started seeing like, oh my God psychology and faith can actually connect together they can work together science isn't saying that there is no God science is saying Let's understand what God has created. So I think creating an atmosphere connecting the two of them saying faith and science are really helpful
2: Amen. Yeah, and and that's where I believe that the church maybe has missed it to a certain extent uh, Because as a church if you come with a physical need We're there yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: You need groceries? We're there we need, you need to be your yard to be cleaned and you need help, we're there. When it comes to a spiritual need, the church has been there as well. You need prayer, let's pray. You know what, let, let, let's deal with this. If it's sin in your life, let's work with that. But when it comes to the emotion, when it comes to your mind, what the church does not understand, does not want to deal with. Yeah. If I don't understand it, I don't want to touch it. Okay, so therefore, uh, that's what we're dealing with. And let me tell you a little story that it's a real story. It's someone that came to me for help. Um, let's give her her name, Mary, today for, for now.
1: Confidentiality purposes.
2: Yes, we'll give her name, Mary. And she came to me and she was talking about how she wanted a child. And how um, she goes, can I share with you what happened to me in my life? I said, sure, go ahead, open up. Um, and she goes to me, you know, I've been wanting a child all my life. And since I'm married, I've, I've yearned to be a mother. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. She goes, yeah, but I, I've been barren. I have not had a child. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, the church told me to pray and fast. And, and I've been praying and fasting for years. She goes, I went into a one-week fast, and I didn't get pregnant. She goes, I went to... A two-week, a uh, 40-day fast, you know, like Anna before the Lord. And I went to a 40-day fast, and midway through the fast, um, I had a chemical imbalance because of the fact of lack of nutrients to my brain. Now, I'm not telling you not to fast, church, fast, but you can fast other things if, yeah. if you cannot handle a food fast yeah. because you have a brain defi- uh, chemical deficiency. Yeah. So what happens is because she had a chemical imbalance, she ended up admitted to a hospital. When she was admitted to the hospital, now the church leaders and the pastor came and told her that she had a demon of craziness. Mm. And because she had this demon of craziness, now once she left the hospital and stopped her meds, they were going to take her to a retreat and they were going to cast out that devil. Now, needless to say, she ended up again in that imbalance and in the hospital again. So that's where what we do not understand, we try to pray it out. Yeah. And what we do not understand, we don't give tools to work with. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so this is why we're talking about this, because there is countless stories like yes. Mary, yes, uh, who experienced this with the church. So this is why we wanna talk about this. And I think that there's this misconception too about what we are supposed to feel and experience anxiety, sadness, depression, we, we need to feel anxiety. We need to feel stress. Yeah. Um, some of you know this, I'm a mom of four kids. If I did not get stressed, my house wouldn't get cleaned. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I need to have, feel that stress. We need to feel some of those pressures sometimes, um, but it's when some of those things immobilize us yeah. that we need to look at mental health. So like talking about Elijah when he was at the broom tree, if he would have never gotten up, that would be something that we would need to look at with him for mental health. So now we'll go to 1 Kings 19, 8 through 9. Elijah, it says, so he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days, 40 nights. He got his nap and a snack, so he's good now. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. So he moved on to a cave, and I'm just going to paraphrase the next, next couple of verses and tell you guys what happened. Um, but really, God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, I've got plans for you, what are you doing here? And Elijah's still scared, still hiding in this cave now. So he's moved on to the broom tree, now he's at the cave. And God sends an earthquake, and and Elijah doesn't believe that God's in the earthquake. And then God sends a windstorm, then he sends down his fire, and still Elijah stays in the cave. He stays terrified in the cave, and I think that's such a good example that sometimes... Things like a windstorm or an earthquake or maybe a tragedy in your life has to happen to catapult you forward into what you're supposed to go into and what God has called for you. And so 1 Kings 19.10, the next verse, Elijah says, I am the only one left. So I don't know if you're thinking this now. You might be like, okay, well, tell us the end already. Does Elijah have a mental disorder or not? I'm sorry to say I do not know (laughs) I wish we had the opportunity to counsel Elijah. That would be great to actually sit with him and talk through some of the stuff that he's dealing with. But we do not know. We don't know if he suffered from depression or anxiety, really. But we do see glimpses of that. Um, So really, how do we know that we have depression, anxiety, or even some other disorder? How would somebody know?
1: Sure. So I think first off, there has to be a kind of differentiation between sadness and depression. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'll hear a lot of people just walking around saying, I'm just so depressed, I'm just so depressed, but they've only been sad for a day. It's like, it's, no, it's not It's not clinical depression. I'm sorry. Your sadness is valid, but it's not depression. There is strict criteria that goes into being clinically depressed, and I don't want to kind of go over all the criteria, because I don't want this to turn into WebMD, where we start Googling our symptoms, and then we're looking at things, and it's like, oh my god, I have the worst disorder ever. No, that's not a thing. Um, but I think there has to be differentiation between the two. Just because you're sad doesn't mean you have clinical depression, and just because you struggle with anxiety doesn't mean you have an anxiety disorder so kind of understanding anxiety a little bit more we need it to function people come into my office all the time like i just want to get rid of my anxiety i just want to cure it can it be cured just just take it away from me and i have i'm sorry for all of you here if you're having that kind of thought it's not going to happen you're not going to get rid of your anxiety what it is is that we can teach you how to control it because When it gets into the realm of disorders, it's that your anxiety is controlling you. You're not controlling it. What happens is that kind of looking at it and through a bell curve is how I'll explain anxiety. We have a healthy amount of anxiety right here in the center. And that's what kind of gets us motivated to move forward, to go to our jobs, to clean our house, to connect with people, to talk. If we didn't have anxiety, we would just kind of live in our homes doing absolutely nothing, life becoming a mess. When we get over here more towards this side, we have our anxiety disorders where it's the anxiety is too much to manage and it's not being controlled and it's not having something filtered. Then we have on the opposite end of it is more of the sadness, kind of there's no anxiety present. That's where you have the lack of motivation and desire to move and get out of bed in the morning. And those are kind of these beginning signs of where something might be going on. But I think in order to understand how do I know when I'm experiencing some kind of emotional stuff, check in if it's starting to impact an area of your life. Is it impacting your relationships? Is it impacting your job? Is it impacting your academics? Is it impacting your family? Because if it is, then that might be some a point for you to check out what's going on. And you know, that takes being honest with ourselves about what it is we're actually dealing with, and that's really hard because it, it's being vulnerable, and vulnerable is really, really scary because it also leaves us open to getting hurt by people, which happens time and time again. But I think more than getting caught up in diagnosing and it's important to have to understand the diagnosis I think we need to have a a shift over into our thinking because we so often focus on what's wrong with me or what I'm lacking or what I don't have but we don't see that these symptoms and these disorders and these diagnoses are just ways that we've learned to cope with the pain that we've experienced so you know if we look at people that struggle with self-harm the cutting is not because of the fact that they just want to do that to themselves and they just need to pray it away. It's that the pain and the emotions that they're struggling with are so deep and embedded into them that it's easier to focus on the physical pain of self-harm than it is to focus on the emotions that they're struggling with. Or if you're looking at um, people that kind of engage in casual sex or that we in the church would be labeled promiscuous, um, there's oftentimes people that have been a victim of sexual assault and their sexuality was stripped from them in such a terrible, terrible way that God is just as angry about it and hurt about it as you are. And they think that, well, kind of what the brain does is, well, I'm not going to say who and when because it was done to me outside of my jurisdiction, outside of my decision. So I'm going to take back the control in this area. So I will engage in this and I get to say who, I get to say when because I take back the power. But in reality, all you're doing is continuing to hurt yourself because you're re-triggering the trauma cycle. So like like JJ said last week, being sick isn't a sin. So if I can share with you, please, hearing this or watching this, forgive yourself for what you did and how you learned to cope when you were struggling with your pain and how how you are living well in survival mode. Jesus doesn't hold it against you, so what gives you the right to hold it against yourself? Give yourself the grace that he is giving you because you're worthy of it.
2: Yeah, that's good. Amen. Just know one thing. Your name is not depression. Yeah. Your name is not anxiety. Yeah. Don't hold that against you. Yeah. yeah. God doesn't call you by that name. Come on. Yeah. God calls you precious in his sight.
0: Let's here, let's stay here for one quick second, because I think this is important. If you are struggling with depression, anxiety, whether you've been diagnosed before or not, I gotta tell you something. You are not your disorder. Yeah. You're not depression. You're not anxiety. God knew he was going to create you like this. He amen. knew what all of your struggles were going to be. Yeah, and amen. he did it amen. on purpose amen. because he's got a plan for you. Yes. He's yeah. got a purpose yes. for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Amen. And I want to tell you too that you are capable of fighting this emotional Goliath. Yeah. You're capable of fighting yes. this mental giant. Amen. And not only are you capable of it, but you are worthy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You are worthy of the journey to Absolutely. healing. And you're worthy of getting the help that you need because God has plans for you. God has plans for, okay, I'm gonna sit down now, okay. <laughs> yes, sorry, woo, all right. Okay, so when do you know it's time to address or confront what you're feeling?
1: So twofold fold answer, um, as soon as possible because there is trajectory for some of these disorders where you won't struggle with it as long-lasting if you kind of tackle it earlier on. However, also only when you are ready and you feel safe to do so. So my sister doesn't know this, but I use life examples of her own life in session, and now she does, so you're <laughs> welcome. Um, but so when we were kids, and if you haven't heard it already, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that we're from New York, if you haven't heard our accent, and if just, just in case you need a clarification, best state ever. Um, but so we were in Queens at the time, and our parents were kind of working, and we were with a babysitter, and by the time, so we're in this park in Queens at... Um, We would go too often, and Seth is on the monkey bars, and it had just rained, and Seth went to go grab from one bar to the other, as kids often do, and slipped, and when she slipped, she fell on her forearm, and what it is, it snapped the bone, and so, didn't really give signs of it being broken. It just kind of seemed like she just hurt it and it was sore, maybe sprained. And so by kind of waiting, we're with the babysitter. By the time our parents kind of come and pick us up, um, we're like, yeah, this is probably broken. It's getting black and bruised. it just looks nasty. So by the time we actually end up getting to the doctor, um, the bone has begun to set incorrectly. And so the doctor's like, well, in order to prevent any movement issues, we have to go back in, re-break her bone, and then mend and set it so that it mends properly.
0: And everybody in the room cringed. Everyone (laughs) in the room was like,
1: oh. And that is the best example of how I would explain therapy. Sometimes it is going back and re-breaking some emotional bones that didn't set quite correctly because someone hurt us or someone did something to us that was incorrect. And we have to go back and revisit that, break it, experience the emotions that happened in that moment, and then mend them mend them correctly, and it kind of connects with what we've been talking about in 1 Kings 19.15, where it says that after Elijah decides to kind of listen to God and leave the cave, the Lord, then the Lord told him, go back the same way that you came. Sometimes we've got to go back in order to move forward. Yeah. And just the same way everyone kind of just struggled with hearing my sister's arm-breaking story, it's okay that it's difficult to kind of revisit some of these issues. It's okay that it's scary. It's okay that it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. As therapists, we're trained to hold on to the hope for you so that we can sit in your pain with you, so that we can sit with you in that moment and hold on that we know that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. It may be a process and it may take time, but we know that there is an end result where you are healthy, you're happy, you're a hold, and you're not living in the past of what happened to you. But trying to keep yourself from feeling the emotions isn't going to make you feel better. You have to realize and actually sit with your stuff.
2: You can't negate it. Yeah. yeah, you cannot negate it. Um, but in that, I believe in a God of miracles, in a God of yeah. healing, in a in a God that is seeing your hurt, in a God that wants to heal you and desires wellness for you, emotional wellness. But in that same note, the first ones that are gonna notice are probably your family members, and they're probably gonna call you out, and you're not gonna like it. Yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. Just don't negate the signs. And God gave knowledge and wisdom to man and people that have studied in the field and that could help you process it. Don't negate it. Yeah. All right. What if I am somebody
0: here today and I cannot afford it? What if I don't have the funds to get help? What should I
2: do? The way I... I work with this, we we have a sliding scale, we wanna help everybody that comes and and, and desires to help, but whatever you don't pay for, you won't value. Wow. Whatever you're not willing to invest your time and your money in. Christ said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Yeah, that's good. Okay, and sometimes we'll invest in a house, we'll invest in a TV, we'll invest in different areas of our lives. but we won't invest in our hearts. If we want not only our church to be the happiest place on earth, but do we want our homes to be the happiest place? We have to be able to invest in that. We have to give time and money to that.
0: And real quickly too, what about medication? Like how would I know if I needed medication?
1: So I think it's important to note that we're not medical doctors or nurses or practitioners or any of that so medication is not something that we're trained on to be able to talk about dosage or anything like that but if you're kind of considering that option know that you can speak to your primary care physician or you can seek out a a consultation with a psychiatrist to kind of have that conversation because sometimes it is necessary however one thing that you can do when talking to your primary care provider is ask them for a and this is a long term so i want to make sure i get it correctly a biochemical test for brain chemistry balances to make sure that kind of all the the levels that are supposed to be there are correct, or if there's something wrong, that they can start talking to you about what is a medication that you might need to intervene correctly.
0: Okay, awesome. So we made that into a slide too, just in case that's something that you do want to ask your physician for, so you can write write it down or take a picture of it, but it is ask your physician for a biochemical test for brain chemistry balances. All right, so if we're here today and we're wondering, like, how do I cope with this? Tell me, how, do, how does somebody cope with this?
1: I think, it begins by kind of looking at your thoughts, looking at your emotions and how they impact each other. And then how we engage with ourselves, how the things that we say to ourselves, because you know, there's this term called self-compassion and we're terrible at it as humans because we can give so much love and grace to other people, but we can't give it to ourselves. Yeah. You know, if we look at the way we talk about ourselves, we talk about ourselves in such terrible terms that we wouldn't even say to an enemy you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're worthless, you're terrible, but if someone, if a friend were to come to us and share the exact same struggle that we're going with, we'd speak so much life into them. So it begins by sitting down and recognizing where these thoughts are coming from, where do we think it's okay to talk to ourselves this way, and can we send it in two domains, either we're very logical or we're very emotional. We need both sides of the coin, we need to be able to sit with the thoughts and the emotions, because And I want to just share these numbers with you that I didn't get to do in the first service, but every three hours in the state of Florida, someone decides that they're better off not existing and they'll take their own life. Every three hours. Five out of seven suicides are completed by men. Five out of every seven. We need to change the way we engage with ourselves. We need to change the way we engage with our thoughts and our emotions. We need to sit with them. And this is not something that can be done completely on your own you know um, hurt people hurt people like we mentioned earlier but healing comes from people as well the only way you're going to be able to break some of these bones and kind of get healing is by sitting with someone and saying i'm struggling with this and i don't know how to move on i'm struggling with this and i don't I, i need to i need to find a way to deal with this and i need to speak it to someone
0: that's so good so hurt happens with people but the healing happens with people too
1: i love that and if we come into to kind of services and we come into into therapy sessions and we just want, how do I deal with this? What are the practical steps on how to move forward? And those have their place. Coping mechanisms are great. And as therapists, we have the coping mechanisms on how to ground yourself when you're anxious or dissociating when you're having a panic attack. However, it needs to be understood that you've got to wrestle with these things. You've got, to, just like um, in the Bible, where it talks about the man, that, that Abraham wrestled with the angel, You've got to wrestle with what's going on for you. And the emotions and thoughts need to be sat with. You need to understand Because if not, your emotions will come out one way or another. I'm sorry to break it to you. Uh, I, there's this term called somatization, which is kind of like the junk drawer in your home, where it's where you shove like all the papers and the flyers that you get. You don't want to deal with the pens that probably are dried out from the ink. Don't work anymore, but you haven't thrown them out for whatever reason. <laughs> That's somatization, where we tuck all the stuff into a drawer, and we don't deal with it. And then the emotions say, okay, fine, you won't pay attention to me. Cool, I'm gonna throw a temper tantrum. And that temper tantrum is back pain that there's no explainable cause for. I've had patients come in where they have vision loss and there's no cause for their vision loss. Chest pressure, difficulty breathing, shaky hands, a lot of migraines that there's no biological cause for. It's because they haven't begun to sit with the pain that they're experiencing. And so if that's you here, find someone to kind of sit with your emotions with. Find someone to let that stuff out with, it's necessary.
0: Yeah. Good. What about God? What role does God have when it comes to mental health?
2: All our emotions come from God. He gives us happiness. We deal with sadness, anxiety. All that comes from God. The same way He has given us laughter, joy, um, happiness. That all comes from God. But in same, on the same note, Jesus dealt with emotions, sad emotions. I mean, in the Mount Olive, He was so He had so much anxiety that he literally sweated blood. Have you ever sweated blood with anxiety? I mean, he was like, pass this cup if you can, Father, because I can't take it anymore. I mean, that's real.
1: You know, I I talk a lot about with my clients, especially the the ones that are Christians that feel like, oh, if I come into this room, am I rejecting God? Am I not having enough faith in God? And one of the first things I'll kind of talk about is when Israel was freed from their slavery, years upon years upon years of slavery, God had to take them through a process in the wilderness for them to unlearn the slavery mentality. Yeah. And just like in our own lives, we've grown up in systems and circles with people and, and life events that have taught us some unhealthy things about ourselves, about who we should be and how we have to act and behave, and things that have done to us that taught us our worth and our value that we need to unlearn. If, the, if it happened for the Israelites, it can happen for us too. And I think the Bible is very clear in giving us so many great examples about Jesus That struggled with emotions that struggled with his own humanity you know i see anger i see sadness and i see anxiety And we often kind of times think of jesus as this very stoic and calm person and we read the prayer of him in the garden of gethsemane as um lord please pass this cup from me and i'm done thank you okay i'll go to the cross no like ask yourself how would you feel in that moment yeah. When you see him, I see him praying, "Lord, please, please, with everything in me, please, if you can pass this cup for me, just let it go. Let it go on to the next person. i don't I don't know that I can do this. I'm taking on the weight of humanity, the sin of humanity onto my shoulders. i'm I'm terrified. or then you see him so angry when they're misusing the temple for for selling things that shouldn't be done or all the and all that moment. The Bible goes in to talk about how he sat down and made a whip. Has anyone ever made a whip before? Just like, Yes, like just threading the whip together because he was so angry. So the patience that he had to sit with, to sit with his yeah. emotions like they're using, misusing my home. Then you see Jesus 2.5 seconds away from calling his friend Lazarus from the grave, knowing full well that he's about to resurrect him to show his glory. He's sitting with his emotions and he's crying. He's recognizing the separation of, wow. of, of death and the pain that that brings. If Jesus can sit with his emotions, if Jesus can experience them, I think that says something about us as humans that we can sit with our pain and that he understands it. He understands what you're going through. He understands the pain that you're dealing with. I mean, assault, he was beaten, spit on, and bruised to the point where the Bible says he he wasn't recognizable, he didn't look like a human. Think about the pain and the fact that his body was no longer his own at that point. It was made for the mockery of people. And so he chose the cross. And so he can empathize with your pain. And I think one of the most beautiful things about the Bible is that it doesn't show me perfect people. It doesn't show me cleanliness and perfection. It shows me people that struggle. You know, I look at the life of David or Moses, Naomi, Thomas, Paul, Sarah, um, Tamar, who struggled with shame and grief, sexual assaults, rejection, neglect, abuse. And they're so, so important to the, the faith that we walk out today. Their their stories are so important that their names were not blotted from the Bible. They were not forgotten. Their stories are still so important today. And so if that's them so many years ago, what does that say about us as people? Where our stories are important. We're needed at the table. We're needed to have the conversation. Our names are important. And that's where the kind of the the, the lyrics of the song um, from Elevation kind of really trigger and really click for me where you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Now oftentimes we look at our stories and we get so focused on the, the brokenness and we look at it like a jagged piece that's distorted and useless and because it's just, it's broken. What, what can God do with a broken cup? But like a beautiful mosaic piece, he takes each and every broken piece and he connects it. And when we take a step back and are able to look at what God has done, we see a masterpiece. We see a beautiful, beautiful piece. We don't see brokenness.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And God wants to use you exactly where you are. Even though it may look like pieces, God wants to use you exactly where you are. Or all the hurt that you're going through, He wants to use it. In 2 Corinthians 1 and 4, it says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. We're meant to be able to go through this so that we can eventually comfort others and be there for others. So if you really feel like you need help today, If you wanna step out and get the help that you need, we're gonna put the slide up for counselors. You can go to journeyorl.com forward slash counseling. We've got six counselors on there that have been vetted by us that we believe that you can go to. Or if you wanna see somebody at Journey Church, or if you wanna see somebody through here, you can scroll down a little bit further on the website and fill out the information. Or even if you just have questions, feel free to fill out your information down on there. Or if you're somebody today that maybe you're struggling with suicide or suicidal thoughts, we're going to put the National Suicidal Hotline up there as well. If you want to go ahead and take a picture of that, share it on your social media. Maybe somebody on your social media feed needs to see that today. But I also want to encourage you to get in a group and get in community. So we're going to put that up as well. And you know, the group's really, it's not like it's free therapy, but it's people that you can do life with, okay? So if you need the help, you need to go get somebody that's professional that can help you with what you're going through. But it's also really important to be in a group of people and be in community, because God wants to use you right where you are. All right, let's go ahead and uh, let's pray for a minute. Father God, we just thank you today We thank you for what you're doing, what you've already just done through this word, that we've released the stigma that has been placed of mental health in the church. Father God, we thank you that as people are sitting around, everybody that can hear my voice, we're taking shame right now and we're lifting it off of them. Father God, so they can experience their healing, so that they can experience wholeness with you, Jesus, because you are the one that can really give us. You are the great physician, Lord God. So allow us to step into what we need to step in today. And if that means going to counseling, Father God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. So thankful that we get to be a church that has these kinds of conversations. Amen. Now I wanna ask you guys this for a quick second. Um, is Is it all right if I get like really vulnerable? I mean like really vulnerable for a moment. The last six months of my life have been, the last six months of my life have been hell. I have struggled through some of the most intense things that I've ever gone through, tragedy and just trial after trial after trial. And I'm up here because I connected with community, because of my freedom small group that helped walk me through this process. I'm up here because of my counselor, because I got help when I needed to before it got too bad. And I don't wanna make the funny joke about like, oh, look at your pastor goes to counseling. If you don't wanna go here anymore, I totally get it. I'm not gonna make that joke because I I look around this room, I see your leadership. And when I look at them, I see people that go to counseling. And you know what that means? That means you got a healthy church. That means this church is healthy. We're not gonna waste time, we're gonna get healthy. And the other reason I'm up here today is because of my God because of staying plugged in, connected to the source of my strength, which is the Lord, sticking in my words, staying there, listening to people who are speaking life into me and reminding me about how God feels about me. Amen? So if you're and here today, I believe that today is your breakthrough. Today is the day where you just shake all that off. Forget about what anybody thinks and you step into what God's calling you to. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com/slash give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.